You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So Luke 11, I hope you have it. If you do, let's stand together. We'll read a few verses here, and then we'll get into the message tonight. Luke chapter 11 is where we'll be. This is continuing our series uh, in Luke 11 on prayer. And it says in verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The focus of our message tonight will be verse 3. It says, give us day by day our daily bread. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, tonight we'll be in our series on uh, model prayer, of, of the model prayer of Jesus Christ in Luke 11. And leading up to this, there's been a request made. One of the disciples has asked the Lord to teach them to pray. And just as a review of some of the thoughts that we've gone through here, they knew the key behind what is done in public begins with what you do in private. And I, I find it interesting that they did not ask Jesus Christ to teach them something big. They didn't ask Jesus Christ to teach them something impressive. They knew that the power behind what you do in public takes place uh, behind closed doors. And so they asked him, teach us to pray. They saw how Jesus communed with his father. They saw how he would go uh, up into a mountain to pray, that he would take hours to pray by himself with just him and the father. And they knew that if you want power in public, then you have to find the face of God in private. Your, your power in public begins with what you do in private. And to this point then, Jesus Christ taught them how to begin praying and he instructed them to include these three petitions when they pray. These were the first three we looked at. And the first is, hallowed be thy name. And that word hallowed means to make it holy, to keep it separate, to make it important or revered. And this is praying that God's name is hallowed. And when we do that, it aligns us properly. When you have a visual, a visual or a vision of how holy God is, you can't help but be aligned. You can't help but be humbled because in comparison to God's holiness, we see ourselves as the sinners that we are. It's pretty amazing that God is as holy as he is, and yet he wants me to pray to him. It humbles me that I can go to him in prayer and that I can go boldly through the name of Jesus Christ. But when we go, we view his holiness, we see his holiness, and it aligns us, it causes us to be humble. And when I recognize the difference between us, the second petition that we talked about was thy kingdom come. And this is when we're properly aligned in our view of God, our natural response then is to seek his purposes. If, I was, if I'm to get a glimpse of God and how holy and how righteous and how perfect he is, and I, and I get an understanding of how high he is, it causes me to realize then I want what he wants. I, I no longer want to do my own thing because I recognize 
how high and holy God is. And that's where that petition, thy kingdom come, comes into play. When Isaiah saw God's holiness, he said, here am I, send me. When, when he saw his holiness, when you understand God's holiness, then you want his purposes to be advanced. And for his kingdom to come, that means his kingdom is advancing. That means that people are coming to Christ and they're being, they're being saved, that their souls are being brought into the kingdom. His kingdom advances should be important to us when we see his holiness and we understand who he is. We should be willing, just like Isaiah, to do whatever God wants us to do when we understand who he is. The third petition we talked about was thy will be done as in heaven so on earth. I don't know about you, but I've had a tough time my whole life submitting to authority. From the time I was a, a young child, at least my parents tell me, that I did not like to submit to their authority. It took them time to train me. It took them time um, to, to try to get that out of me because we're so full of pride. Christ, but Christ said in Mark 8, 34, that the life of a disciple is a life of self-denial. I mean, for us to think that the Christian life is just something we can insert into our lives without changing much of anything is to be fooled about what the Christian life is, is a life of self-denial. It is a life of telling ourselves no. You know, God's will can be difficult to discern, but we should want his will more than anything. And we have a wonderful example in Jesus Christ of what it looks like to accept God's will. If you remember the last time that we were in this, in this series, we talked about Jesus Christ and how he was praying in the garden, and he said, let this cup pass from me, but then he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. It could be that the request for God's will here in Luke 11 it, to be done is more about people accepting his will and his plan accordingly and willingly than it is that his will is just simply done. See, I think a lot of times the most work that needs to be done for God's will to be done is in our hearts. That we would accept what he has to say and has to do. This is taken directly from that last message it says, should we pray for God's will to be done on earth no matter what? Yes, absolutely. We should pray that God's purposes are advanced, that his kingdom is grown, that souls everywhere would submit to the gospel, that people would live in righteousness and follow the Father. We should pray for God's sovereign will to be done, but if it's done in earth as it is in heaven, that means that God's people accept his answers without pushback. They accept his answers without bitterness. They receive his direction without fit-throwing. They follow his path without deviation. They submit to his leading without stubbornness. If we're going to follow God's will and on, and on earth as it is in heaven, that means that we do it just like they will in heaven and say, whatever your will is, God, even if I don't like it, even if it's not what I prefer, God, I submit to it. Be prepared when you pray for God's will to be done that you don't forget what Christ said as in heaven, so on earth. Meaning that we accept God's will no matter what. Because it can be tough, can't it? There are times where God's will doesn't align with our expectations. I mean, maybe that hasn't happened to you, but it's happened to me a lot. And I think, well, this is how I would like for him to answer it. But it doesn't necessarily go that way. And it's not always easy. But if I pray this prayer every day, if every time I go to God and I say, Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth... It helps my mind to be aligned so that when his will doesn't match up with my desires, I better accept it. So the petition we're looking at tonight is different than the others to this point. 
And before we get into it, I want to just look at a a broad picture, kind of a a larger scope of what's happening here, uh, because I think it's good for us to consider the order in the prayer here. When I was in Idaho a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching um, on a Sunday night, and I preached one of the messages that I actually preached here uh, on a Wednesday night in this series. I preached what I was talking about just a moment ago about the Christian, I called it the Christian superpower. And how the disciples didn't come asking for something great like walking on water or they didn't ask Jesus to help them heal the sick. They didn't ask for something big and visible. They came asking for for him to teach them to pray because they knew that the private practice of prayer um, was the key to public power. And after that sermon, after I preached that sermon there in Nampa, Idaho, a lady came up to me and she told me about an acrostic that, or an acronym that she'd heard that helped direct her prayer life. And I had heard this before, but I had forgotten about it and, uh, until she mentioned it. And I thought it was worth mentioning tonight because it does have to do with what we're talking about here. See, someone's come up with this helpful acrostic for prayer they refer to as ACTS. A-C-T-S. Now, not the book of Acts. This is just kind of a guide for prayer. And those four letters, the letters of Acts, would mean you start with adoration, then you go into confession, and then you use the, the, uh, your next amount of time for thanksgiving, and then you go to supplication. So adoration, then you have confession, then you have thanksgiving, and then you have supplication. So that first element of adoration, I think it is very biblical when you think about even the pattern of the model prayer here, in that we should just stop sometimes in our prayer and just praise the Lord. Now, if you read the book of Psalms, even as we did this past Sunday morning in Psalm 33, I went back and read it before this message, you notice that much of it is built on the idea of simple praise. The Hebrew word for praise is to throw or shoot or cast. So when you praise, the idea is that you're throwing something, or you're shooting something, or you're casting something. And we think about it, I I saw, it's a big deal now, I guess, I was driving down the street and saw a place here in Sioux Falls, it said you can come do some axe throwing. I mean, and and I guess they, it's a bar and axe throwing. And I thought, that's the worst combination I've ever heard. <laughs> Come here, drink, get drunk, and then throw sharp objects around the room. I, who thought of that? I don't know. But you know, that's kind of the idea of praise, is that you're throwing something. And, and you're not literally throwing something, but we throw out our praise to God. In the same way that you would just rear back and let it fly, you're to praise God. You're to cast your thanksgiving to God. You're to speak about the attributes of God that make Him God. We throw out our praise through thanks and confession of who God is. Praise is an active word. It, it, it praises when we cast out our admiration of the Father through our words, through our voices, through our instruments, through our prayer. Praise is simply stopping to appreciate and admire God. Now, when, when we were on this trip, we, we stopped at this place that had some signs. It was near the ocean, and it was explaining like killer wells or something along those lines. And, 
and we were talking about how some people go through museums. We have, in museums, I call them, you either have the readers or you have the walkers. And the reader is the guy that stops at every placard and reads every sentence. And it's incredibly annoying, okay? After I've read a few of those, I'm ready to move on. I become a walker through the museum. Now, if it doesn't interest me, then I don't know that I want to stop and read it. But I've been with people that literally at every display, they stop and read every sentence. And I'm like, you have no interest in that at all. Can we move along? But, but you, you're, maybe we have some in this room. How many of you would say, when you go to a museum or something, that you, you stop and you read just about everything? Okay? We have, those are the few and far between. And then how about the impatient of us that would call ourselves more like I'm of the walker type? Okay, so that's the vast majority. The intellects have already raised their hand, okay? But, but honestly, it's kind of like an art studio. I've been in art studios, and I've, I don't appreciate art like I probably should. I see a picture, and I say, oh, that's nice. But I've literally stood there while somebody who understood art could stare at a picture for 30 or 40 minutes. I don't personally understand that, but honestly, it teaches me something that's important. Because somebody that can stop and appreciate an, a, a piece of art like that um, is showing me that I need to have, have a little bit more reflection or meditation. It, that they can stop and appreciate that is a reminder of the way that we should stop and admire Jesus Christ. See, sometimes when it comes to our praise, in, in our prayer life or even in a church setting, we're more the walkers. Like, I'm walking through, I'm getting through this, I'm going to move right along. And really, I think what God is looking for are some readers. He's looking for those that would just stop and admire him for a while. And, and, and consider his, uh, his incredible attributes to stop and consider who God is and what he does and how holy he is and how high he is because you can't really grasp that if you're just walking through the hymnal. Sometimes when we take our hymnals and we open them, it's good for us to stop and really try to visualize what it's saying. I mean, I, I think sometimes I, I wish we could just stop a song and let's just sing this verse a few times. Let's not run through the art gallery here. Because God is worthy of our praise. And you, you don't just throw something in the walk on. You, you throw it, you cast it, and you cast it. And that's an, an important part of our prayer life. That's why Jesus Christ started with, hallowed be thy name. You're holy. It's, it's beyond what I can even comprehend. How high you are, how perfect you are. And God, let me not be a, a walker through the museum... Let me not just rush through these thoughts, but God, let me stop and admire you for a while. He deserves that. When we sing these hymns, or you read a psalm, or you read your Bible, or a thought about God comes to you, don't try to get through it in a hurry. Stop and adore Him. That's the first step in prayer, is adoration. Acts. The second element would be confession. This is a little bit more straightforward, one that we understand. Our prayer time should be, in, we should spend time in confession over our sin. Our relationship with God is cut off with the presence of sin. 
You realize that if you have sin in your heart, you can pray all you want, but it won't go past the ceiling because sin disrupts your, your relationship with God. If your sin is not confessed, your relationship is not what it needs to be with your father. So practice 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't let the, in prayer, don't skip that part because if you do, you're not really communing with God because he's holy. And if you've got sin, you can't really have that communion. Unconfessed sin hinders our fellowship with him. As we praise God for who he is, we're reminded of his holiness and it aligns us, it humbles us, it puts us in our place and it highlights our sinfulness when compared to a holy father and then we should confess our sin. We need his forgiveness in our prayer time. It should include a time of confession every time. The third in that acronym is the T for Thanksgiving. See, one of my favorite verses on prayer is Philippians 4, 6, and it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And most people would summarize that verse by saying, we aren't to be full of care. We should not be anxious. I, I, shouldn't, be, I shouldn't have the burdens of life on me. Be careful for nothing. Take those burdens to God. Release them to God. Let God have those. He's promised to take those. Bring them to God. And as true as that is, there's a phrase that gets missed a lot in that. It says, in, in everything, by prayer and supplication. What are, what are the two words that get missed a lot? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, I think the element of gratitude is often missed in our prayers. We're so consumed with asking for something. We're so quick to ask for things that we need that we fail to acknowledge that what, what God has already blessed us with. And I can go through that, where I go through prayer and I have this long list of things that I need, and I, and I go through the whole time where I pray and I ask God, God, please do this in this person's heart, help this person's heart to be right, or help this relationship, or help them to be faithful, at, you know, whatever it is, help this person with their cancer. I mean, that list gets long and you pray and you pray and, and you ask and you beg God to do something, and all the while, God, I wonder if God thinks, but I did a lot for you yesterday. All those prayers and supplications are important, but if we don't sprinkle it with thanksgiving, I don't think that we're praying in the will of God. It should be a regular part of our prayer lives. And then the fourth element of that acronym is S for supplication. Now, a supplication is a petition. It's a request. This is when we express our need or the needs of others to the Father. We ask Him for something and as important as this part is, be careful not to pray backwards. Be careful not to get in the habit of starting with supplication in that we have this tendency to start with the S. And we fail to spend time in adoration. We fail to spend time in confession. We fail to spend time in our thanksgiving. Be careful that in prayer we don't make it all about ourselves first. And I'm not saying it's wrong to bring your needs before God. We're told to. But just be sure that you don't turn something as important as prayer into an exercise of self-focus. We live in a culture that does not need help uh, being self-focused. I mean, it's all about self. The social media and I mean everything. Everybody wants to express their rights. And individualism, as I say, it's the highest virtue these days. 
But we have to be careful that we don't turn something that should be as important and special and, 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 and necessary in our Christian lives as prayer into a self-focused exercise. Jesus Christ modeled it differently for us. He did not start with the supplications. And tonight's focus is the phrase in verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. And this is for the model for the disciples on how they should pray for their own needs. But as we go through this, I want you to see that even in the way that we, that we think about God giving us our daily bread, it's still not about us. Give us this day our daily bread. And it starts with the thought that God gives. God is a giver. See, the word give contrasts his nature and my nature. Because I know in Psalm, chapter, Psalm 50, verse 10, it says that God's own, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you have cattle on a thousand hills? I didn't think so. That's just saying that God has innumerable resources. You cannot put a, a number on the resources of God. And, and when it says that over in Psalm 50, the contrast is that if he has cattle on a thousand hills, I don't have anything. If he's got all of that, I am a beggar. If he has innumerable resources, I am destitute and I am poor with nothing to give. God gives freely and he gives good and perfect gifts according to James 1.17. And God doesn't just give out of his abundance, although he has abundant resources. I want you to consider the fact that God, he has everything at his disposal to give. He has an abundance of resources to give. But God didn't just give out of his abundance. And I got excited when I was thinking about this today. God didn't just give out of his abundance when he could have done everything that we need out of his abundance. No, God gave sacrificially even though he has unlimited resources. He gave sacrificially in that John 3.16 says, God, it doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he reached into his deep pockets and gave us something that would save our souls and he didn't really, he didn't feel it. No, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. So God is such a giver that he doesn't just give out of his abundance, he gives sacrificially, even though he has everything. I want you to consider that. God is that kind of a giver, and if he's that kind of a giver, and I think about what I have, God has everything, and I have nothing. We're good at giving out of abundance sometimes, aren't we? But to give sacrificially, that's a whole other level. Give us this day. It's a beggar. This is a beggar. And it's a beggar on the street asking someone passing by for just a piece of bread. This is not a person with a nine-to-five job saying, uh, God, you know, I've, got, I've got my money and my savings don't really want to tap into that. Would you just maybe tide me over till I get my next paycheck? See, that's sometimes how we view our dependence on God. No, this is a beggar on the street with absolutely nothing to his name. Folks, we are beggars. We are destitute. We are poor and we have nothing to our name when you compare our resources to God. So when he says, give us this day, our daily bread, he's saying, you have nothing to bring to the table. 
You can't come and exchange what you have for some bread. You, you can't come and make a bargain with God and get the kind of bread that you want. No, you are saying, I have absolutely nothing, and God is a giver who has everything. And I come like a beggar who has absolutely nothing, begging and poor and needy and destitute, just asking him to give me something because I've got nothing. This is the glimpse into the mindset with which we are to live our Christian lives. You live your life not as somebody who brings a lot to the table. And sometimes we get that way and say, well, yeah, I can do this, and I've got this, and I've done this long enough, I can take care of this. No, we are all beggars in God's eyes. And, and the moment that we start to think that I have some kind of power or some kind of wisdom or some kind of strength on my own is when I will fall flat on my face. You know, it's not popular in our culture to talk about this. But even the great apostle Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, we tend to operate daily as if we have sufficiency of ourselves and God is just a supplemental insurance. No, I've got nothing in my pockets. I've got nothing to my name. I absolutely need him to step in or I am not surviving this. That's the mindset. Sometimes we act as if we're, we're sufficient I want to just remind you what Colossians 1, 16 and 17 say. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. I, sometimes we operate in this deistic mode where we feel like God just spun the top of the world and then he sits back. And whatever happens to us, it's you know, of our own making. We've got to go make our own way. No, it says, by him all things consist. You realize this world continues to spin every day because God is holding it together. The only reason that, you know, and scientists talk about how the distance that we are from the sun, if it variated just, if it, just a couple of degrees, if it varied, that we would all either roast or freeze to death. And they talk about it like it's some miracle and and life is so fragile. No, the reason that it works is because God holds it all together. By him, all things consist. It is him that is keeping this world together. It is him that keeps our bodies together. It is him that keeps my heart continuing to beat. It is, it, he is the only reason that I still breathe in and out. So who am I to ever think that, well, tomorrow, though, I got this on my own. Because without God holding my life together, I, it would, everything would fall apart. It is by God that all things consist, and it is our mentality, it should be our mentality, that if I, God was not a giver, I would, I would have nothing. I'm sinful, I'm incapable, and yet sometimes I act like I'm the one calling the shots. It's kind of like with my son, sometimes he'll ask if he can help me carry something. Plug your ears, Jace, I don't want him to know my little secret. And it's something real heavy like a table or whatever. And he'll say, can I help you? And I say, sure. And he grabs that back in. And I've got the entire weight of the table in my hands. But he's holding that thing. He's like, yeah, look at me. I can help with my dad. You know, sometimes we act like, you know, we're holding the back of the table. We're looking around like we're really contributing. But really, God's got all the weight. It is only through him that our lives can carry on. It is only through him that our lives consist and have any kind of meaning 
And yet people in our culture live like they're, they're the ones holding the back of the table, and yet they're acting like they're in full control. And I just want to remind you that an atheistic mindset is one that, that a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And we would never say that, but when we live on a daily basis, as if our lives are dependent on our strength and wisdom, that is the same as a fool that says in his heart, there is no God. Without God's provision, I wouldn't have daily bread. I'm not just talking about what I'm eating. I've got to view my life through that lens. Without his hand in it, I would have nothing. God's unlimited resources should be our daily reminder that we must depend on his provision. It's kind of like a a little kid making a sandwich. Uh, My kids, they love to try to make something in the kitchen. I, I mean, one of them yesterday said, I can make ramen and I can make macaroni and cheese. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a pretty impressive list there, Caitlin. Um, so, but you know, a little kid that says, I can, make it, I, I can make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I learned how to do that this week. It, it, for him to say that is fine. Yeah, I made a sandwich. But, but did he really make a sandwich? Meaning, that, that bread for that sandwich, just to talk about the bread, it started out in the ground, and it's only because God created the right, the right situation and circumstances, the right amount of sun, the right amount of water, the right soil, the right temperature for that wheat to begin to grow. And then as that wheat begins to grow, it has to still have the right, all the right circumstances and all the right, uh, all the right variables coming into play for it to grow and, and to mature. And then someone has to go and they have to, gather that wheat, harvest that wheat. They have to take that to somebody um, who would turn it into flour and, and mix it with the right ingredients in some factory somewhere and, and start to form dough and, and then some machine somewhere, you know, they've got all the automatic machines and, and they're kneading the bread and turning it into dough and plopping it, I visualize it, plopping it on an assembly line and it goes through an oven which, which bakes that bread and after it comes out on the other side, then some other machine probably puts it in a, in a piece of plastic and wraps it up with a, with a little twisty tie. And somebody comes and picks it up and puts it on a truck. And that truck takes it to a store near you. And you go pick it up and you pay for it. I'm not even going to talk about where the money came from. I try to remind my kids of that all the time, but they don't seem to get it, you know. Somebody had to work hard for that money. They go, though, and the mom or dad buys the bread and brings that loaf of bread and puts it on the table. And that little six-year-old kid comes in and grabs peanut butter and jelly. I'm not even going to talk about the processes for that. And opens up the jars with a knife or spoon and gets more on the counter than he does on the bread. Makes himself a nice, big, fat peanut butter jelly sandwich with a glass of milk, by the way. And then says proudly, I made this. And yeah, he made it, he put it together, but did he really make it? No. There's a lot more at play behind the scenes, and yet a lot of times in our lives we live like, oh yeah, I made this. Yeah, I put this together. I'm the one that kind of brought this about. And yet we are ignorant to assume our daily provision comes from our own hands. See, God is a giver, and I have nothing, and if there wasn't all of that going on behind the scenes from him, I wouldn't have even bread to make a sandwich with. 
Let's just be mindful of that tonight. He's a giver. I'm going to move quickly here. God gives and he gives daily. This is important. God's chosen time period in which to express his providence is one day at a time. See, providence is the greatest example of God's daily provision to me is in the book of Exodus. And we're not going to read it, but in Exodus chapter 16, and you could go read it, just a few weeks after God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, they start complaining already. Go figure. They start murmuring about how they used to have really good food back in Egypt and now they don't have anything. And then that's when God sends them that bread from heaven and he called, they called it what? They called it manna. My dad used to say it's banana pudding. I don't know about that. He was a big banana pudding fan apparently. But they were to go out and do you remember the time period that when which they were to go out and collect their manna? Once a week? When was it? Every day. Once a day, they go collect their manna, and they had a measure per person. And what happened to it if they kept it overnight? It rotted, it stank, it, it got gross, and they had to throw it out. They had to, what God was doing was putting them in a position where they saw their relationship and their, their dependence on his provision, uh, on him for their provision, they saw it as an everyday thing. Once a month's not enough, once a week's not enough. No, he said, I want you to depend on me for the provision every day. And even in that example, folks, that was the children of Israel did nothing for that. They literally walked out of their tent and picked up these, these little coriander seed type thing, this little piece, the Bible, God calls it bread. They picked it up, they took it in, and that sustained them for the day. And then they went out the next day without working for it at all, and they did the same thing. They did it every single day. And that's the way that God works. And that's why we sing the song tonight, day by day. When the guy that gets to preach gets to also pick the songs, it works out really well sometimes. You know, we're to acknowledge our inabilities and lean on his providence as regularly as every 24 hours. And the other place I see this, uh, the model prayer in, is in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 6 in that same sermon. I want you to listen to what Christ said over there. He said, therefore, so follow along until you hear the key words about days. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye little faith? Therefore, he says, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And here it is, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And what he's saying, what Jesus Christ is saying, is again, I want you to operate in a day-by-day -day kind of mindset. I want you to operate day-by-day -day with me. I want you to consider that every day you come back to me for your provision 
And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. There are enough problems tomorrow for you to worry about those tomorrow and and, and not have to worry about them today as well. Every day you've got your own needs and there's enough to deal with. And I think we can see the Christian life is lived one day at a time. If I could sing the song, I would, but I don't know if I could get away with it. One day at a time. That's the Christian life. So why do we need this reminder tonight? Because we live in a Costco culture. Think about that. We don't go every day and gather up food just for tomorrow or just for today. We go to Costco and we buy it in bulk. And I don't just have food for tomorrow. I have food for months. I've got food. We have freezers uh, bigger than kitchens, and we've got refrigerators stocked full of food, and, and we've got enough meat for the whole winter. And unlike this culture here, we're not living hand to mouth, where I'm going out just to collect what I need for today and praying that there's going to be more tomorrow. No, most of us don't have to trust God for food tomorrow. There may be some that do, but we have food through next week. So it's, it's all the more important that if, if there's ever been a culture that needs this point... From the model prayer, it's ours. Because we live in a Costco culture where we can buy everything in bulk, and so it's all the more important that you and I every day take time in our prayer life to express to our providential Father that I have needs and you must meet them today because I've got nothing. God gives us daily. And he gives us daily bread. You know, bread represents God's providence in our lives. Anything that we need, that's bread. It may be food if you've fallen on hard times, and though it may be food, it likely isn't in this room, in America. It may be strength. Your bread that you need today, it might be strength to face some health affliction. It could be grace to deal with a person you can hardly stand to be around. Your bread may be wisdom, in making some important decision for your family right now. Your bread may be a a wisdom that you would make the right decision for your future. Your bread, it may be comfort, Brother Keith, as you grieve a loss in your life. That may be Brother Keith's daily bread right now. By the way, we should be praying for Brother Keith and that he'd have daily bread too in his life. It might be patience in dealing with an angry spouse dealing with a wayward child. Your bread may be guidance as you speak with someone and and you need the Lord to give you wisdom. It could be, your bread might be finances. And right now you find yourself struggling to pay the next bills and you don't know where it's coming from. And that could be your daily bread. Whatever bread represents in your life, let me just quote three verses out of Matthew 7. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? What need do you have? Our good Father has the provision for that need. He always has the right answer. And we make fun of it back in junior church. You ask any question and they say, Jesus or God. But you know what? Really, in reality, 
every need you have. Jesus. He's got everything you need. And you're looking some and we go looking for bread in other places and it never satisfies. And yet here's God who says, "I will give it to you daily. I want to. I want to gi- I want to supply your need. I want to give you bread." And like David said, "I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I ne- not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging what? Bread." But listen, as as much as he makes those promises, He does not obligate himself to provide it except when we daily exercise dependence. Through the prayer of Jesus Christ, this model here, our example is that I come to him daily. You see, I think sometimes in this culture, the Costco culture, we get to be a little bit entitled. And we think, well, I'm his child and he's told me he's going to give it to me. I just have to sit back and here it comes. No, we have an obligation not to work for it, but to daily depend on him for it. And that starts in your prayer closet, folks. You have a need that you don't know what to do about and you don't know if you have the grace for this or the wisdom for that or or the strength for this. Well, daily depend and he'll provide the bread. Have you been consistent in your daily dependence? Have you grown self-sufficient trying to do it on your own without God's help? As you approach him with petitions, do you do so with gratitude? Considering that he's taken care of your many needs many times already? Don't fall into that murmuring trap simply because we don't get what we want when we want it. And then the final comment tonight is we should go to God and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because I don't have anything. And I need bread. I need strength. I need wisdom. I need grace to make it through some situation. And help us, God, as we pray. As I pray to understand what it means to ask you for bread. Not to assume that that he's going to give it to me because he's obligated not to assume that I can exchange something I have for it. No, like a beggar on the street with someone walking by that has all the resources in the world and he's willing to give it to me if I would just simply reach out and ask for it. And it could be that many in here, the reason we don't have our needs met in these certain areas is because we're not humble enough to ask for the need. For asked to ask for the bread for the need. So I don't know how God may be dealing with you if you're not daily dependent, if you're self-sufficient, or if you're not approaching him with gratitude tonight. But this reminder, to me, it was a big one. It was a helpful one. Because honestly, I feel there are many times, many things that come my way, they're, they're beyond me. And what's great is I think this one takes the pressure off. Because rather than saying, if I do everything I'm, I'm supposed to, then God will come in and help and supplement it. No, he's saying, I literally have nothing to do about this except to ask. So whatever your need is tonight, whatever you need bread for tonight, why don't we uh, make a habit to follow the model prayer and come to God and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I've got nothing on my own.
Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.